0: Great, thank you. Wonderful, wonderful morning. I had such a good sleep last night. <clears throat> and um, while the computer is uh, warming up. Good. And how are you all this morning? Awake yet? Had that caffeine fix? that I'm going to make you feel guilty about a little later this morning? <laughs> well, the, uh, I have particularly enjoyed listening to all the accents, the different accents, you know. It, it, it always amazes me when I come back uh, and to the UK and how many different accents there are in this small sort of island. And boy... Almost every block, I suppose, in a city <coughs> has a slightly different accent. I <coughs> when we first went to the United States, we uh, stopped over as we were traveling across the United States just to do some sightseeing. Well, actually, what, what happened was that Delta Airlines offered a airline ticket across the United States. Provided you stopped in four places, you got a very cheap airfare. So we had to stop in four places. And One of the places we stopped in was Houston, Texas, which I'm you know, sad. To, you heard about the news, didn't you? Heard the news of the shooting in, in Houston. Do you, am I at NASA? Uh, but Let me just comment on that before, before I continue. I, I, you know, I wanted to scream out, man. When are we going to pay attention to male depression? Media was talking about gun control, gun control, gun control. Yes, that's important. But when will we start to talk about male depression? I'm on a campaign, folks. I want one day a year to be set aside for male depression recognition. Where we will increase awareness, public awareness, male awareness of the fact that males are significantly higher depressed than we think they are. And uh, I don't know if you read Newsweek magazine, but about four weeks ago, Newsweek magazine front cover featured male depression. I worked with the person who wrote the article, quotes me quite a lot in it, and we were able to get into Newsweek magazine on the front cover in the United States raise the awareness of male depression. When I get back after my trip to Australia next week, uh, week after next, I, I'll be doing some radio programs on male depression. Suddenly I'm, I'm getting calls from people. I, my book, Male Depression, has been out a number of years. But it, it, there's a growing awareness. And this man who committed this, this, this murder in, at NASA, held us uh, two hostages... Uh, I can tell you, they haven't released any information yet, but you heard it from me, he is clinically depressed. And, and, and we've, male rage needs to be brought under control. And one of the things we, that has to be done to control male rage is to enforce, encourage, persist in increasing awareness of male depression. So, I got that off my chest. One of the advantages of having a platform is that you can ventilate uh, in a way that, you know, <laughs> is much more healing. Anyway, getting back to my story about accents, we were in Houston, Texas, my three little girls, myself, and of course know, I grew up on cowboy pictures, movies, and, and I'm in, mean, this is Texas, man, I'm looking for cowboys, and there's not a single cowboy around. They wear cowboy boots, but then there's three-piece suits, you know, with ties and all the rest of it, and they're steps in. That's not a real cowboy. So we see a store there which is a cowboy store, cowboy paraphernalia, saddles, boots, hats, real cowboy, real true cowboy stuff. So I say to my girls, my, my honey, please, just, just indulge me. Let me go and have a, let's go browse around in this shop. We're looking here and we're looking there and we're oohing and we're awing and what a wonderful Western saddle this is. And, and the young clerk, store keeper, only 21, 22, young, young. is is looking at us. I catch him through my eye and whenever we move, he moves a little closer and he's dusting and he's looking at us and finally he comes up to us and says, you all talk funny. (laughs) So I say, I suppose we do. Where are you from? I say, we're from South Africa. Oh, South Africa, South Africa. What part of Texas is that? (laughs) That's a true story. There's a variation of that story, which is a joke that you often see. But in my case, it was an absolutely true story. What part of Texas are you from? But anyway, I I do love your funny accents. And and, um, uh, before I get started, just one or two uh, quick matters... I want to take this opportunity to publicize one event that will be coming up in the United States. I've been a part of the American Association of Christian Counselors for a long time, fostering Christian counseling across all the guilds, you know, psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, pastoral counselors, all, all, all those who do some form of counseling. We, we, our association uh, lifts up the issue of Christian counseling, and so... Is coming up in September. I just want, since there are many counselors here, I, I sense uh, September 12th to 15th in Nashville, Tennessee, is the World Conference of the American Association of Christian Counselors. Now, I'm the president of the International Network of Christian Counselors. So, uh, your association here in England uh, is on my board, uh, in, in, in Germany, Switzerland. There, there are many associations of Christian counselors around the world now that transcend guilds. Let's break down, let's not have our professional, This is not a professional meeting for psychiatrists or psychologists or anyone like that, or pastors. Uh, this is, a, this is a, an association that tries to lift up Christian counseling. So we have 19 tracks. We have a track for psychiatry, a track for um, marriage and family. My, my one daughter is big on, she heads up that track. Uh, my family, my girls are very involved in this thing as well there's there's, there's, uh, families and parenting, pastoral care in the church biblical foundations of counseling uh, abuse, violence and trauma grief and crisis, uh, disaster, these are all tracks sex and healthy sexuality uh, clinical assessment, psychiatry and behavioral medicine addictions and recovery, women's issues that's headed by one of my daughters as well uh, legal and ethical issues, uh, health and medical issues. And track 19 is the international issues, and, and I head up that, uh, that international track. Uh, it's it's uh, from the Thursday to the Saturday in Nashville it's at the Opryland Hotel. Opryland is one of the mir- one of the marvels, seven marvels of the world. It's just this huge complex, totally enclosed, has its own climate inside that is not the same as the climate that's outside. Uh, you know, boats and trees and, and, and stuff. It's, it's a phenomenal experience. It's, uh, um, the the, uh, the, the, the plenary, plenary speakers include people like Dallas Willard, Joyce Meyer, Max Lucado, anyone familiar with these names? Uh, Larry Crabb, Gary Smalley I mean these are all big names in the US they're all part of the plenary speakers and and, uh, I brought some of these brochures there may be a few left at the back you can get a free photograph of me if you get this uh. (laughs) and this one is going spare if if those of you who are interested I encourage you to consider this I mean it's a a once in a lifetime event there'll be 7,000 of us there uh, you really get to see the world. I'm, I've been pushing the international involvement. I have a lot of people. I, I have 15 people coming from Nigeria. Uh, a whole bunch of Australians, New zealand They're coming from all over the world. This, this is truly a world event. And uh, I, I just wanted you to be aware of it. And uh, the US is not so far from here. This is just down the road, quite, you know. <laughs> um, Then before I I start, I also wanted a couple of things. I lie awake at night before I fall asleep, and there's always something that tends to come up. You didn't say this, you didn't say that. What about that other thing, you know, like a voice inside me telling me. But there there is um, uh, one important thing I I need to say um, that concerns suicide and depression. I outlined for you what the current thinking in the U.S. is about the risk of suicide when you take antidepressant medication. That there is a, because of the long waiting period, there is a demoralizing effect that, uh, that builds and reaches its peak just before the medication kicks in. But there's another factor And and that is that of all the symptoms of depression, and I went through the critical ones yesterday, anhedonia, lack of pleasure, um, the diurnal variation of mood, you know, worse in the morning, uh, better in the evening, and and that. And there's there's the one of fatigue, low energy, drop in. When you're depressed, you don't want to do anything. In fact, when you are deeply depressed, you probably don't have the energy to kill yourself. But what happens in the antidepressant medications, and some of them are more likely to foster this than others, which is why I think you need to know this fact, is that the first symptom of depression that starts to get better is the energy. So that's the first thing you look for. I'm looking for a response from the medication... Uh, The patient says, you know, I I seem to have a little more energy. I'm I'm, I'm getting out of bed earlier. Now, energy is going up. Now, the, the problem is this, that energy starts to come, but the mood still stays down. The sadness is still there. And that disparity increases the risk of suicide. Now, I'm feeling terrible. I'm feeling hopeless. This world is not going anywhere. And now, I have the energy that is a high risk factor for suicide. And that's why it's so important in order to get through that valley to the mountain of healing on the other side, we have to rally around, family needs to rally around a family member who's depressed, pastors, aren't parishioners, and we generally need to be a little bit more aware that Uh, when someone starts the treatment, uh, hallelujah that they're at least doing that, there is uh, this uh, phenomenon that we are now very aware of that the energy comes back first before there is any improvement. Okay, uh, now I can sleep peacefully tonight having said that. (laughs) I, I have changed my priorities slightly and uh, because we are running, uh, you know, there's more here that I can get through. I'm going to talk about the, the stress question, issue first. Thank you, Lula. Um, I want to talk about stress first this morning, and then for those of you who are waiting for sex... Um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to get to that later. Men are always interested in the sex one that I do. <laughs> And, and so, don't be too disappointed. I'd I get to it. Okay, you're down, boy. Down, just, just wait. wait. Wait your turn. But I, I, I feel I, I, I need to start the day with... Uh, and we don't have a lot of time, but I want to cover some... And I can't do everything that's on your sheet. So, but, but turn to the List Session 6, Managing Stress uh, sheet, because I, I want to cover some of that before the question time and make sure I get it in. And then, uh, uh, probably after lunch, I'll, I'll, I'm going to get into... Uh, sexuality, not so much uh, sexuality in general, I'll make some comments about that, but I want to raise awareness that the incidence of sexually related addictions is rising dramatically. Fed mainly by the internet. And so we are seeing now a a, a, a phenomenal rise of sexual uh, addictions. Primarily on men, but not only on men. So ladies, just don't sit there smugly thinking, "Ah, you go get him, you go get them. But I'll I have something to say to you as well. <laughs> so, so stress. So turn with me, if you have your Bibles, um, to Second Corinthians, chapter four. I, I'm still in Second Corinthians. I can't ever get out of Second Corinthians. You know, it's one of those wonderful books that. Paul has said so much, but uh, I want to talk about Second Corinthians because the Apostle Paul was very aware. He understood the stress problem as it, uh, as it was characterized in his day. I have tried to make clear that what we mean by stress today, what we label as a stress problem, is, is now um, a different one. It, it, it's a... Uh, let me get this thing going, sorry. Uh, it, it, it is a, a um, it is it is a it is, a, it is a, a, a much more complex one in a sense, but the, the, it, its nature is somewhat different. But since the, our physiology, our psychology, since who, our bodies are the same today as they were in Paul's day, there are some similarities, you see. I mean, it's the same body responding to the same thing. I tried to say earlier in in, in my presentations that the nature of New Testament stress that was damaging had more to do with traumatic events, getting shipwrecked, getting flogged, being hung on a cross, than the stuff that is killing us. And I also trying to get across that in earlier times, until fairly recently, there was in our lifestyle enough recovery time from the elevator stress and cortisol, that the, the emergency system of the body, for it to recover and give you a life. And that's what's gone. Um, news bulletin this morning's paper... Stress threatens worldwide epidemic of heart disease. So it's no longer a US and a UK problem. In the back streets of Africa, now seeing a dramatic rise in the incidence of heart disease. Article says, The stress of everyday life is threatening a global epidemic of cardiovascular disease a report by international health experts has warned. High blood pressure, a silent condition is grossly underestimated by patients, families, medics, and politicians, according to the study uh, unveiled at the European Parliament in Brussels. So it's now a a much more serious problem than just, uh, you know, our, 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 our own world. And and so Paul knows something about stress and um, we go to chapter 4, verse 7, that wonderful verse, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And then he goes through that little litany of we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed, not in despair, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that his life may be revealed in our mortal or in our dying body. We're all dying. I mean, that started the day we were born. But in verse 16, and this is really where I I want to focus uh, our attention. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Now, I know I'm, 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 I'm playing on words here, but, but isn't it interesting that heart cardiovascular disease is such a big issue now as a stress-related disorder that, that you're losing heart <laughs> physically. And Paul is talking about losing heart all those years ago. He meant, of course, uh, he's talking more about demoralize, he's talking about we don't give up. We don't lose, lose hope. I mean, that's what he really means. But, but I can't help thinking that somehow that phrase is relevant even in the area of... Got, we're losing heart, folks. That, that's what it is. Physically? I nearly died three years ago. And we're losing it emotionally. And losing heart emotionally is burnout. And that I'm going to talk about the last thing I will talk about today. But before, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed. Not year by year, or month by month. Not when I take my vacation. lot of you know this is the, the, the big myth. Right? I'm, I'm taking my vacation next month. Boy, I'm going to take off a whole month. Boy, and you know, that, and I'll, I'll I'll recover then. You see? No, no, no. It's too late. Damage done. Not every month. Not every week. Oh, I, I take my Sabbath. I keep my sab- I'm a very, you know, regular Sabbath keeper. I, I, I do I've done conferences for the Adventist church where they are big on Sabbath keeping. And oh boy do they uh, they are theoretically mm-hmm. big, big, big on keeping the Sabbath. In, in practice not a single one keeps the Sabbath. You know, it's the most stressful day of the week for them. So I, I, I have great fun with them challenging that that myth that, you know you, you know, you haven't even begun to understand what keeping a Sabbath is. You know, not, but we're being renewed day by day. We're being renewed. Now, the, the, the fact about stress that we need to uh, grasp right up front is that stress is accelerated dying. Stress is accelerated dying. Paul, Paul said, you know, we always carry around in a body the death of Jesus so the life of Jesus may be revealed in our dying body. Stress is accelerated dying. And stress management is this. Now listen carefully. Stress management is strategic dying. <laughs> now, well, I should get clapped and cheers for that. It's strategic dying. We are dying. But let's die strategically. We, we, we plan a church, strategize how we're going to reach the community. We do strategic planning in our business. Uh, you know, we, we have strategic planning everything except our dying. We're going to die. So why not choose how and when we die? We had a provost at Fuller. Uh, uh, here's the guy that is the vice president and sort of the, the president for the academics and the three Deans report to him. He's a wonderful guy. His name was Glenn Barker. And a, a godly man. And oh what a what a what a what a what a, what a fantastic person. And um, but I was on his I, every we had breakfast every Monday morning was my meeting with him for the week to report in and and so on. And I uh, I would week after week I'd get on to Glenn's case. His wife had died. And for the months following that, he was sort of—he was—he wasn't grieving properly. But that wasn't my issue. He tended to spiritualize her dying. Oh, she's with Jesus. It's all okay. It doesn't matter, you know. I don't need to grieve. Why? Why should I grieve? It would be sinful for me to grieve because she's, she's with Jesus. So why? I—I—I yeah, I, I could never convince him otherwise. But aside from that little flaw, <laughs> he wasn't taking care of himself. He was starting to put on weight. He wasn't exercising. And so one Monday morning, at breakfast, I got in his case, Glenn, you're not exercising. I can see you're putting on weight. I can just see stress all over your face. He's my boss now, and I just challenged him. Oh, yeah, he said, okay, you're right. But you know, he said to me, Friday afternoon, I'm planning to go and play tennis, taking off work, and I'm going to go and play tennis with some friends. I said Glenn, "You sure that's a wise thing to do? You haven't been exercising. You ha- you know, you can't suddenly go and do a lot of exercise. No, no, no. no. I, I've got a plan. I'm going to, you know, I really, I'm going to go and play tennis with him it's Friday afternoon. So he got me off his back. Friday afternoon came. I'd also taken off the afternoon because I'd had it. I didn't want to see another student's face. You know, seminaries would be wonderful places if we didn't have students. Really." <laughs> Uh, churches would be wonderful places originally, but never mind, I won't go there. <laughs> and so he, uh, just Friday afternoon, about three o'clock in the afternoon, I get a phone call at home. hurried voice on the other side, oh, <sighs> you know, we're playing tennis here, and Glenn has just collapsed on the tennis court. I just thought I'd let you know, we've called the paramedics. He's collapsed on the tennis court, I think he's had a heart attack. I said, okay, i call a few friends, other faculty. We'll get down to the hospital right away so we can be there when he arrives. We got to the hospital, about five or six of us, and we waited at the ER entrance and, and waited. And finally, paramedics arrived, and out they wheeled Glenn Barker on a gurney and right past us. And as he came past me, I looked at him. He's blue. He was already dead and I wanted to take my fists and pound them on his chest. I was so angry. What a waste. What a waste. You can never convince me of the theology that dying early is God's plan for your life. God doesn't need you in heaven. Heaven. (laughs) now of course there are times there are people who die early I mean there's disease, there's cancer I'm not not talking about that I'm talking about the fact that we by and large we know enough now that most of us can determine strategically how long we live and I'm a strong believer in the principle that God wants me to stay on this earth for as long as I possibly can there is no merit in getting to heaven earlier what I don't understand is why I have to spend this time on this earth as Paul calls it groaning I don't understand that but that's one of those mysteries that I have to wait for it to be revealed in heaven although I, I do know this one day when I get to heaven I will know why I had to groan, down there, or up there. I don't know where. <laughs> you know? I I I will know that 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 served a purpose. It, it's beyond human comprehension. I don't even go there. So stop it, okay? <laughs> we have to take responsibility. For our life. Now, I, I, this is not in your outline, but I, I want to begin with this uh, quotation. Jessie Shaw. This, Jessie Shaw is a writer at Newsweek. I've, she's one of the people we, that interviewed me for the male depression, and, and I have a high respect for her. Uh, she, she's able to research different life issues and pull together in, in Newsweek a succinct article that I think is always very, very good. But listen to what she has to say. It is exceedingly clear. This is a a Newsweek uh, article in a magazine that uh, featured the problem of stress four or five years ago. Listen to this. It is exceedingly clear that the chronic stress of 21st century living is not a mere inconvenience. You see, there was a time when we thought stress was just an inconvenience. Just a sort of an obstacle in the way. Let's get the obstacle out of the way. It is not... A mere inconvenience. It is a major problem that needs to be recognized and treated seriously. Unless we, as a society, as a world, learn to slow down, breathe, examine our values, change our hectic lifestyles, we will continue to suffer from cardiovascular disease, immune deficiencies, depression, and a host of other illnesses. Further, We will pass these traits and poor coping skills on to our children who could experience even greater suffering given their exposure to severe stress from the early days of their life. Amen. Thus saith the Lord. Because that, I believe, is absolutely... It's not a mere inconvenience. It is a serious matter that we need to. Now, stress comes from a whole bunch of people. I've got a list there. You can go through them yourself. Crisis, built-in community. People are the main source of stress. Truck drivers don't get stressed from their trucks. Uh, it, 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 it is, uh, conflicts, deadlines lack of boundaries, unbalanced, these are, these are all sources. Now, now, what is stress? Let's just be absolutely clear, I want to be as succinct and quick and concise as possible. Stress is over arousal of the emergency system of the body. It's over arousal of your adrenaline. If you, if you suffer from adrenal disease of various sorts, either pituitary or adrenal uh, tumor or whatever, and you're deficient in the uh, hormones from the adrenal gland, you, you can't suffer the regular type. Of, you've got another problem, but it's not the stress problem. Uh, stress comes from that. You cannot separate stress from that part of the, that, that emergency response of the system. Stress cannot just be a mental thing. If, if there's something mentally going on that's causing stress, it's getting the message down to the adrenal glands to, to create this emergency response. Now, the, the problem is that the emergency system of the body was designed for short-term use only crisis only. We know that from our, from our neurochemistry, from, the, from neurobiology, the, we, uh, we, we know that from how, uh, how we know these, 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 these systems work. I had as a client um, for some years ago a, a man who was an astronaut, one of the men who had been to the moon, and he was very helpful in giving me information from NASA where the research they do on astronauts has been phenomenal in revealing how body chemistry works in the stress thing, how much stress you can tolerate. And they have a whole research department that is looking at, in, because being an astronaut puts you under a stressful demand that far exceeds anything that you experience as, as an ordinary human being. And this particular astronaut was uh, in his first trip to the moon, his second trip to the moon, he actually drove the vehicle. But in the first trip to the moon, he had to take control of the command capsule. That's where he stays up there, going around the moon while the others are down on on the moon's surface, you see. And while he was the first time after he dropped them off, (laughs) said, bye, see you later, the capsule continued onto the dark side of the moon. And as soon as it got onto the dark side of the moon, it started to tumble out of control. Can you imagine being on the other side of the moon all by yourself in a capsule that's tumbling out of control? Can you imagine? you you, you got to know these oh, astronauts. They are a phenomenal. They're not ordinary human beings. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing is that they are trained, meticulously trained. So I, I, I sat with him and I said, I, you know... Dave, I cannot for the life of me figure out how you could tolerate that my, my emergency system would would pack up I, I, I think I'd pass out quite frankly oh, and you well he said you know but they, they train us when there's an emergency like that you've got to do something now they could have com- they could have programmed a computer to respond to he could have just sat there and folded his arms we don't need astronauts to be up there you know that we can do it all with the computer don't need pilots to fly planes anymore the, all the new planes are automated they, they land themselves which is a concern so we've got to force pilots to every now and again land so that they can keep their skills up but anyway, any rate no, no no it's not a problem at all you know you, you have a, uh, a manual you have a row of manuals up just above the the steering car, whatever, the driving console, you know, the steering wheel, whatever they have up there. (laughs) And you reach up, and you look, oh, manual four, capsule out of control on dark side of moon. (laughs) You pull it down, you open it out, and you start at step one. Oh, switch on, switch five, six, four, five, six, four, okay. Switch off. Do that. And for the next 20 minutes, you've got all this work to do. That could have been done by a computer. But you see, the only way you can stop him going berserk, give him something to do, give him a feeling of control. Because what NASA had discovered was that helplessness cortisol us sky high. So any... The point I'm leading up to is that any... And, and then just to finish that story, in case you're sitting there, and I've given you a cliffhanger. My wife often says, you tell them stories and then you leave them hanging, you know. Uh, it, he, it, it came under control, and by the time he came out from the other side, it was all under control. He made a second trip to the moon. But at any rate, the, the point is this. What, what we learned from that, what we have learned from NASA, is how critical it is, it is to maintain a sense of control. Helplessness is not God's way. Because in the final analysis, I have to sit back in that capsule that's out of control, and I have to raise my arms and say, Lord, I am glad you are in control of this world. That's the ultimate. But, but in our everyday life, how do I maintain you know, a sense of help? Uh, this is why hope is so important, because it's hope that diminishes helplessness. Hope diminishes helplessness. So it, it is, uh, stress is being stretched beyond the limits, extending yourself. We were designed for camel travel. And we're all driving our supersonic jets, you know. The accelerated pace of life. And that has accelerated our dying. And strategic dying means that I take control, I determine, I am responsible. I make those choices and i need to do it responsibly because god does not want me home sooner than is necessary there's a task for me here not there this is just a diagram uh, to show that the adrenal system has two two amazing components simplified but it's still uh, helpful, that there's an outer core and there's an, inner, there's an inner core and outer cortex or outer layer. The inner core is the adrenaline that is released immediately and speeds up our heart muscle, it activates the heart muscle, speeds up our heart rate, blood pressure goes up, but it also increases cholesterol and this is one of the reasons why cholesterol, why heart disease is, such a, is linked with stress. It's, it increases cholesterol, raises blood pressure, all that. It, adrenaline has to do with mobilizing you for the fight or flight. And then a little later, delayed about 10 minutes, a a surge. There is cortisol at first, but the surge comes about 10 minutes later where it fights cortisol and and hormones. There's 57 altogether. But cortisol, cortisol, are the two most common ones, fights inflammation, increases blood sugar, increases muscle tension, and et cetera, et cetera, for the the, protection. The effects of elevated adrenaline, fight or flight response, which was important to survival in ancient times. See, the the problem with this fight-or-flight response is that it is more suited to fighting lions than it is to fighting bosses from hell. It is more suited. Um, The civilization now, this is a quote by Jerry Adler, civilization now gives you the opportunity to experience an adrenaline rush at every traffic light. Rick picked me up this morning, and I I had to wait almost 10 minutes for the elevator, because a whole bunch of foreigners, (laughs) like myself, were exiting the hotel. And every time the three elevators, every time the elevator appeared, it was full of them. I couldn't get in, and I I had to keep waiting, and finally I got out. My adrenaline is rushing now. My adrenaline is pumping, and Rick is pacing up and down in the lobby, wondering where I am. He had a park almost out on the street because the buses were there. He couldn't bring his car in. He was in a danger. And he, you must have felt some adrenaline rush as well, Rick. Oh, he looks like a cool guy, but, but I know his adrenaline was pumping. Uh, so, so there's adrenaline rush in every, every light. And since all you're doing is sitting in your car, the elaborate preparations for your body makes are wasted. Worse, every heartbeat at elevated blood pressure, takes its toll on your arteries. The excess of fat and glucose doesn't get metabolized right away and and contributes to the plaques that form inside blood vessels leading to heart disease or strokes. I mean, I, I can't say more than that to get your attention. This is crucial. Now, what's the difference between good stress and bad stress? Good stress, short-lived. That's the difference. It, it's, it's short-lived. That's the only good stress. You can't tell me that, oh, I do this and that because that's good stress and I don't do that. No, the, the difference lies in the duration of the arousal. Short-lived. Your responsibility in managing your stress is to get that system turned off. As soon as you possibly can, unless there is a life threatening emergency. Unless bad stress maintains a state of helplessness, good stress is strategic dying. The adverse effects I, 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 I wanted to skip through these. You know, you know, the, the, the headaches, you know, the high blood pressure, you know, all the symptoms. Most people. It's a double-edged sword, uh, as I've I've mentioned already. I can skip over that. Consequences, uh, there are four effects of chronic stress. I just want to briefly mention these because it might help you to identify your stress level. The first is increased pain. Stress reduces a a, a hormone in the brain called endorphin, which is your brain's painkiller. Endorphin, endogenous morphine. The brain makes its own morphine. The reason why morphine works to kill pain is because your brain already makes it. The, trouble is when it. the trouble is that that when your brain makes it, it's not addicting when it becomes addicting. When it's not addicting, there's a sense in which it can become addicting. But, but it's when you take it from the outside that it becomes addicting. But it can become addicting because there are some hidden addictions. I'll talk about them later. Some behaviors like jogging for zillions of miles that becomes addicting because it gives a surge of endorphin. You know, it's a morphine addiction. That's what it is. But pain, pain increase, increase. We have a pain everywhere. I mean, uh, several GPs here, and you're dealing with pain all the time. Chronic, benign pain syndrome. have got pain in my shoulder. My wife says, Oh, honey, when I do this, it hurts. And I say to her, then honey, stop it. Don't do this. (laughs) If it hurts, don't do it. You know, you can make a fortune, just stop it, principle. (laughs) The second is increased anxiety, and I've talked about that. Stress blocks our natural tranquilizers. And so, anxiety is now epidemic everywhere. Thirdly, it increased risk for illness. Stress reduces the immune system. I mean, that research is unequivocal. We have uh, Loma Linda uh, hospital near, near us in Pasadena and there's been a lot of research at Loma Linda on ways of boosting the immune system naturally. And you know what they have found to be a very powerful booster of your immune system? Laughter. Laughter. Humor. Uh, and uh, they uh, and you know what, it's not, you don't have to have, uh, they've used like Laurel and Hardy movies that they show people. But just anticipating going to watch a funny movie, people's immune systems were going up. Just anticipating it. Didn't even have to go and watch it. Uh, and, and, and the problem with stress, you see, is that it reduces the immune system, and then makes us more vulnerable. A high percentage of people who go to the doctor have immune systems that are not functioning properly. Increased fatigue and depression. have talked a lot about that. But these are all uh, effects. Personality type is important. Type. You know, I think you're all familiar with type A personality, type B personality, type A is the person, I'm a type A driven pump a lot of adrenaline, your hot reactor, your adrenal system really does come alive. When you get an adrenaline rush, you get an adrenaline rush. Type A people, like myself. It's called the coronary prone personality. That was debunked for a while, but we're coming back now to saying this personality style does make a difference. It makes a difference because you are either your genes, and I think there's a genetic factor, or you've trained yourself to become a very reactive person. Type B is that slow, easy-going person slow to anger, sort of sluggish through life. Type A's always married type B's. It's a major source of conflict. I'm standing at the front door with my keys, throwing up and waiting for my wife. I'm hoping she... The keys are a sort of a bell, a call. Type A's have to be on time. I mean, time is everything for type A's. My wife believes that being on time is 20 minutes late, and... (laughs) And she comes she shouts out, Don't jingle those keys! <laughs> type A, type B. Type A's, type A's, listen to this statistic, type A's generally pump four times more adrenaline than type B's. But that's, not, that's the good news. The bad news is that type A's pump 43 times more cortisol than type B's, given the same challenge. 43 times more cortisol. You're a cortisol time bomb. If you're like me. Type A is always in a hurry when they have to finish other people's sentences because they just don't talk fast enough. <laughs> type A has got multiple things batting around in their head. Uh, type A's go, do you have A is go. Do you have express lines here in the supermarket? Ten items or less, or I no, I I think I see. It's it's a basket only. You if you, if you, right. Your hand basket only. The same same idea. Type A's. Type A's were well, the ones. The, 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 supermarkets create this express line for Type A's. That's what they're for. You usually have give you a little red basket in the U.S. So when you walk around, oh Type A, Type A, Type A. And you stand in line. You stand in line. 10 items or less, and you count the number of items in everybody else's <laughs> basket. And woe well betide them if they got more than 10 items. And I was in the supermarket a little while ago. And I was <clears throat> standing there. Now, I, you know, I try to, to control all of this. In fact, I'm pretty good at it, really. But that day I was irked. There was a lady, two, three people in front of me, and she had 12 bottles of wine. 10 items only. I couldn't resist it. I said... <laughs> Madam. Twelve. <laughs> she looked at me down, looked at me like I'm some cook, you know. Twelve. She looked at me and she said, it doesn't count because they're all the same. <laughs> like Bananas. Oh, my word. She has no idea how I have struggled with bananas. (laughs) Is it one banana (laughs) or one bunch of bananas, right? So I I have my rule. If the banana's in two bunches, two items. I'm trying to figure out grapes. I mean, I'm having... (laughs) And I'm standing there, oh, and my heart is pumping like crazy. Like adrenaline high. This is like this could be a tiger. for, for all I know, you know. This is from the body's perspective. The, the, the body has no idea. It doesn't have eyes like I have. And you know, know, yeah, I'm pumping all this adrenaline. And uh, and then you know, when I got to the cashier, I, I jokingly said to uh, her, you know, tell said, what's the penalty for people who don't keep the law? You know, she looked at that said, I don't know. I don't know. Have you ever refused anyone who's got more? No, never. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the type A stroke. Type B's, easy going. Now, type A's are the stress-prone ones. Type B tends towards burnout more. So when do I talk about burnout later? You now, type A's, they can always find something else. They've got all the energy in the world. But type B's tend not to have that energy, and so they are a little bit more prone to burnout. I'm not going to talk about the other types. So God's solution is the daily renewal principle. Our physiology and hence our mind and spirit are designed for daily renewal. Can I can I just burn that into you? It's not good enough to wait till the weekend in order to deal with your stress. If you don't deal with that day's stress before the day is over, you are losing the battle. I can't, undersc- I can't emphasize this important. It, uh, I, I take Paul's words literally. I'm not a literalist usually. But, oh boy, uh, I, you, 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 the that we are we, uh, with hope, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. And that, 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 that's that perspective-building thing again. there are two urgent spiritual daily renewals that I think we need to discover in this world. You know, in our evangelical world, from a worldly perspective, from the world's perspective, I I don't have a solution. I don't know what they're going to do. But for the body of Christ, I think there is a a solution. And there are basically two principles. Renewal of our appreciation for rest... And renewal of our understanding of hope. I'm going to be preaching about hope tomorrow. So that's going to have to wait. I don't know where I go from one to three. It's my computer, I think. (laughs) Renewal of appreciation for rest. And that's what the renewal principle... That's what... That, that 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 is what it is is all about. This is what recovery is all about. Recovery is all about giving that system the rest it needs to rejuvenate. And um, th- 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 it's important. And my my book, Adrenaline and Stress, is all in there. So I, I I don't feel I have to repeat everything. Um, And and someone has told me that you can, in fact, buy my books on uh, Amazon.com. It takes a lot longer for it to be shipped and so on. And the the shipping might be a bit more expensive, but I know my Adrenaline and Stress is is available on Amazon. Um, not, Not all my books. Some of them are out of print, so they don't have them. Only I have them, but... What uh, but, but I, 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 I want to say is that the, the, the core issue here in stress management is managing adrenaline. Stress management is managing adrenaline. I take control of my adrenaline. It doesn't control me. I use my brain, my sense of, uh, you know, of, of my, just my common sense to decide whether this is worth doing, giving a lot of adrenaline to or not. And if it's not worth giving a lot of adrenaline to, I... I I've, this is where my relaxation exercise, CD, is so important. I have a relaxation exercise that I can use to just lower my adrenaline. The most powerful tool, the most powerful tool for lowering adrenaline is, a re- is relaxation. Deep muscle. Now, it's a lot harder than you think. In Australia, they have done an enormous amount of research on panic anxiety disorder and have published In in Australia, there's been a lot of research and shows absolutely clearly that one of the most effective non-medication tools for treating panic anxiety disorder is relaxation and meditation. Now, I'm concerned about Eastern-type meditations, which is why my CD, I added Christian meditation, because I I think we sell ourselves short. in our our evangelical world. There's been an anti-meditation mentality. I think it came about in reaction to some of the early Eastern transcendental meditations and yoga exercises, and I think the evangelical church sort of reacted against that, and pretty well damned a lot of it. So I I can go to some churches, if I were to talk about meditation in some churches, they will hogwash me, they'll hang me from the yard arm, they'll poison me, they will... Decapitate me, because it's, it's 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 ungodly. Jesus didn't meditate. Oh, do you remember that? Do you remember that beautiful verse? I, it, it brings tears every time I say it. So be ready. Jesus, being wearied, thus sat. On the wall. It was a well. You know, I, I get moved. Jesus got tired. Sometimes I'm tired, you know, and I so desperately want to go and rest. And Jesus felt that. He took upon us, he took upon himself our human body with its fatigue and its tiredness and all of that. He thus sat on the the well. And then the woman taken in adultery comes to fetch water. Give me to drink too. Let's start a conversation. And the life is changed. If Jesus hadn't got tired not got tired, that woman would have just gone to hell. So, so why, why, what is this anti rest? attitude that is so pervasive. I think it's satanic. I think, I think it's the devil, man. And, <clears throat> and it's all about managing adrenaline. If you, if you look through my notes, I've, I've given you some suggestions. You've got to choose your battles. Every time you have a disagreement, you're pumping adrenaline. Is this really worth fighting for? And since conflict is so pervasive in our evangelical world, within churches and so on, we really have to begin to educate. We, we, we have got a new provost, uh, a guy by the name of Lingenfelder. Missionary, uh, former missionary, but he was uh, uh, vice president at Biola University and we uh, recruited him to be our new provost. And uh, his installation address was a very moving time. What he did in his installation address, how he is being inaugurated as the new provost for Fuller Theological Seminary, and he pulled up, out a little plastic bag, a small one, and in that little plastic bag there were three cents, pennies. you still call them pennies? I, you know, we, we call them pennies in America anyway, even if it's a cent. There was three cents in it. And he, he showed it to the audience. This is a, supposed to be a prestigious, you know, inaugural address, and he's still showing pennies in a little plastic bag. He said, when I became vice president at the Biola University, the president, a guy by the name of Clyde Cook that I know well, uh, Clyde gave me this little bag with ten pennies in it. And he said to me, each penny represents a battle, a conflict that you will have to fight. When those ten pennies are spent, your time here is done. Spend them wisely. I got three left. And his message was, of course, it can be the same here. What wisdom, what wisdom. You choose your battles. Spend your pennies wisely if you want to. It's, see, I'm just wanting you to get the concept. I can't go through every little detail, but it's all about managing that adrenaline, taking control of it. But let me move quickly to the, the final point because it would be okay if I ran over a few minutes, Rick. Okay. Because I, I I want to I want to move quickly to say something about sleep <clears throat> and um, happy to continue some of this discussion when we have Q and A but but for now I want I want to turn my focus on so so uh, managing your adrenaline very important uh, you know asking yourself the question do I really need to be you know so excited about this uh, breaking when you're engaging in a task that's going to long, by breaking that task into shorter segments, you can bring your adrenaline down. That's one of the things I discovered. When I'm writing a book, for example, I would sit and write for six hours, and the last four hours I had to tear it all up afterwards, because I went past the point of my maximum efficiency. So I've learned now. You know, I, I I never work on a given task for more than one hour without taking a break or changing, because what that does is it resets my adrenal system, and I can start it all over again. You see, those are the techniques. My my book is uh, is all about those techniques. But sleep, sleep. If I were to, if you were to ask me, okay, okay, Arch, what single, what single tool? would you advocate for dealing with my stress, for helping me to increase my recovery? What single tool would you recommend? My response would be sleep better and more. I when I ask myself, "Okay, God," you, you know, when I, I try to think of creation as being intelligent. We we have been this daily renewal principle. Why? why what's this day thing? Why do we have light and day? Could God have figured out a way we could have light twenty-four hours a day? I know certain Christian leaders who would have jumped at that idea, because there is in many Christian evangelical Christian circles the belief that sleep is the enemy of the gospel. Because when I sleep, I'm not doing God's work. Um, There's one very prominent guy in the United States who actually gives seminars to help people reduce their sleep to to be able to work more for God. He's got it down, and I think he sleeps less than four hours a night. And he boasts about that. Um, that is, that is sad for me. Because a, it, uh, the science of sleep tells us otherwise. If I can get enough quality sleep on a daily basis, I can reset, I can recover from any amount of stress for that day. I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Sure, it's important that you do stress management and all the rest of it, but if I can get sufficient sleep, the, my, the rejuvenation mechanisms that my body uses all work during the sleep cycles of the night. My immune system does most of its work at night when I'm sleeping, not during the day. So When, when you finally get over that flu, it's, you wake up in the morning, you feel better. Because that, at night, and during the daytime, the body's attention goes elsewhere. You've got stuff to do. And so, in a sense, certain activities are suspended or at least diminished. So, most immune system is boosted in the evening time. Don't get enough sleep, your immune system. There's evidence to show clearly that people who don't sleep enough have immune deficiency syndromes. So, that, that's a clear thing. People who don't sleep enough will always have more anxiety problems. Because you see, sleep is what helps lower the cortisol stuff that, we, that I've been talking Take away sleep, you take away immune system rejuvenation, you take away cortisol and adrenaline rejuvenation, blah, 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 blah. Some evidence to show that sleeping less than four hours a night, you're at high risk for early, early cardiovascular disease. I changed my sleeping from four hours a night to what I'm going to recommend in a few minutes. Some years ago, when I had my surgery, what happened was that I had five blockages, but it wasn't just the regular plaque. I was, it was calcified. So it showed up on x-rays. That's how they found it. I didn't have any symptoms. And and my surgeon, my conversation with my surgeon, who is two years older than me, so he's been around, he's done a lot of this stuff. He says that in my case, what happened was severe plaque buildup was earlier in your life. He said, "You must have done something at one point that changed the progress of that disease, because the plaque then stayed static and calcified. As not much plaque has been added since." And, and I'm not exaggerating. He said to me, "Tell me what it was you did." He he was genuinely interested, and he would come and sit with me in my recovery. Yeah, I mean the the you know the the. the uh, Intensive care, and he was at the hospital. He had other stuff to do, and he'd come and sit and chat to me. We had a common friend, so that was part of it. But he said, I'm, I'm intrigued. In fact, he, he had asked my wife had asked my wife outside, what, "What's what's different about your husband?" And she she told him because he's a Christian, you know. But <laughs> but, but 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 when I, when he asked me that question, I said, "Well, you know, the only thing I can think of is that one day I wrote a book called Adrenaline and Stress, and I promised God." I promised God that I would not let adrenaline kill me. It was up to that point. So at 70 years of age, I had to have the surgery. But he said, you should have died 25 years earlier. Um, But sleep. Now, let me just close out. I'll make a few closing comments, and we'll take a break. And then I'll pick it up. I'll pick up on the topic after uh, after the break. Uh, and, and, and what I want to sort of leave you with is uh, is my recommendation for how much sleep you need to have on a daily basis. And I'm not making this up. This is confirmed by a Commission on Sleep set up by Bill Clinton some years ago when he first became president brought together all the world's experts on sleep because there was this pervasive concern about the lack of sleep accidents truck accidents uh, One of the ways we train doctors is often to put them on like 48-hour shifts because you've got to follow a disease right through from the beginning to end You can't just work an eight-hour shift and then go home and sleep So you just stay on the job and see the disease right from beginning to end. This is one way you train doctors. Now, there's real concern about that because it means young doctors make mistakes. So there was industry is concerned. There really is deep concern, and that commission came out with its recommendation. I'll say a few things after the break uh, in the the afternoon session. But this was their recommendation. I'm quoting now, and then I'm going to modify it slightly. The minimum, underline minimum, sleep need for a normal, underline normal, adult, eight and a half hours a night. They're off by half an hour. should be nine. The problem is there was a committee and they took a vote and they came up with eight and a half. And eight and a half doesn't make sense from the, from the sleep architecture point of view because we sleep in one and a half hour cycles, approximately. And you really need to complete the whole cycle to get credit for that cycle. So, one and a half doesn't go into eight and a half. It goes into nine. In fact, if, if, if it's either seven and a half or nine because if you, if you wake up halfway through the next sleep cycle... Pretty much you you lose the the benefit of that you need to complete the cycle so my recommendation I, I changed when I started my research years ago wrote my book adrenaline and stress 20 years ago I started went from four hours took me five or six months to do it pushed it up to nine hours and now I sleep nine hours every night I do more I enjoy what I do more. I feel better. And I have no doubt in my mind that that is better. So I'm going to leave you with that. (laughs) And uh, we will take our break now. Is John or just we'll take our break and you'll call us back at, at 11:30. Maybe 11.30 or shortly thereafter, we'll. It gives you 20 minutes, that's enough. Okay.